Editor Mike here. My apologies for the audio quality on this recording. Apparently, I had the microphone turned backwards. It makes a difference. But hopefully you enjoy the episode anyway. Welcome to Considering Truth, a podcast about religion, philosophy, and a little bit of science. We're a few friends trying to wrap our minds around this thing called truth. Episode 5, Knowledge, Part 2. On today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion on knowledge. We have a lot of it, apparently, and you still need it. I'm Mike Went. I'm Josh Olson. <laughs> Welcome back. Oh, I don't know about that that uh, that uh, that intro intro there. I know you, we still need to welcome everyone back, but boy, that's pretty presumptuous. <laughs> yeah, got to be got to put it out there. Yeah, sure. Okay, welcome back everyone to the second part of our episode on knowledge. We are still sans Tim, as you might have heard from the last episode. Uh, he is out with a new daughter, and uh, we wish him well on that. So it's just. You and I, mano y mano, today. And we're I'm gonna, up for the challenge. You are definitely up for the challenge. So we left off last time talking about how our volition, our, our will, can sometimes influence our sources of knowledge that we choose. And I would add to that, you know, will is our, our desires. I like that. Therefore, I will, I will believe that it's true. Mm-hmm. So maybe... In recognition of that, we should probably look at how we can acquire knowledge and what would be good sources of it. So, first one, listen to this podcast. And now that we've gotten all of our hubris out of the way for this episode, we're going to move on. I think I think I will be able to provide more hubris at some point in this episode. Rising to the challenge. I, I, I exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are what are the sources that you like to go to or that you, you mean apart from our podcast apart from our podcast yes or how do you even vet your sources yeah that, that is really difficult and let me just let me just take a step back and have everyone think for a moment about the sources they choose for knowledge and they might not even realize that they're choosing these sources we're consuming information and and not just information, but also that processed information where people have applied interpretations to it and, and, and conclusions to it. Yeah, and, and those, I mean, this runs the spectrum. Everything from, you know, your local astrologer or, um, yeah, well, I mean, that, you and I source. Take, but some people are very, very, I mean, this is a, this is a source for them, a, a very important source. Uh, and some people will choose to, live their lives by by what the, the information they gain from that. But, uh, you know, it's funny that I put the next source right next to astrology, and that's Facebook. Um, or social media, or... or right, fair enough. And, you know, there again, a lot of the opinions that we get, a lot of the news that we get from Facebook has been filtered through friends, Right, and not discounting our friends, we chose them, and and hopefully that they they are they are good friends, but that doesn't necessarily make them good investigators. Right, and even if they give you good information, it's always going to be biased towards the 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 types of information that you and your friends like 
to consume from the worldviews and the viewpoints that you consume. And yeah. Facebook has guaranteed that, that based it's, on their algorithms. Some of it's the algorithm. Some, of, I mean, this happens even outside of Facebook. I mean, you know, if true. I hang out with my friends, with you and Tim, you know, we tend to reinforce a lot of the viewpoints that we all hold because we all hold them and it's just... And therefore everybody does and they must be very, right. very good uh, yeah. sources. So everybody should listen to us, yeah. of course. <clears throat> and not that this is necessarily evil or bad or sinister, although, you know, Facebook, you might argue, <laughs> has various, you know, goals in mind. But, you know, it is something to be aware of, mm. you know, and I think this is the... Yes, have this as a source of, of knowledge, but, you know, in your vetting of it, hold it a little bit farther at arm's length or run it through some extra filters when, yay, today chocolate is good. Yeah, I got so I'm going to eat our, two pounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. Just buyer beware. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and uh, also on my list are celebrity experts. Or get celebrities. Yeah. yeah. You know, we I put experts them. in quotes. I mean, they, they, they apparently know how to become famous, so they should be able to speak to any number of other topics and, uh, so with authority. Let me, let me again, let me not disparage celebrities. Many of them are extraordinarily intelligent. They know something to get them where they were. I don't think that that's necessarily an accident. Yeah. I think that they've, they've worked hard and, and. Yeah. But I think anytime that, that you have somebody that's an expert in one area, speaking about an area that they're not an expert, oftentimes we apply their their acumen to that other area. Celebrity movie stars, we say, oh, they're great at their their craft the, of evoking motion, emotion and communication. communication. Let's just call it communication. Yeah, but that general. doesn't necessarily mean that they are great at politics or they're great at, at you know, launching rockets into space. They, they might, but that doesn't doesn't just follow. And I think the same also can be said for scientists. Just because you are an astrophysicist and can tell me how the sun works or how planets formed with more knowledge than or anyone else. Or what happened, you know, within the first femtoseconds yeah. after the Big Bang. Doesn't, doesn't give you a whole lot more authority to speak on microbiology. You know, as any microbiologist would say, get out of my lab <laughs> and go stare back at your telescopes. They don't work on microscopes. You know, it, yeah. You just have to run it through that filter of, well, what's the source of this, this truth, this, this knowledge that's coming? So also on my list are urban legends. This was, again, from our last episode, something that was, uh, I won't say modeled for me, but just something that was a part of like my life for a while. conspiracy theories. That, yeah. 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 Someday I want to talk about that, but that's another, another episode. That's another episode. Neighborhood Gossip. Uh, the source of information we get, perhaps about other people, perhaps about the world in general. Um, I think because the world is becoming so small and because social media has become such a big part of our lives, uh, neighborhood gossip has gone digital. <clears throat> so maybe I, maybe I just need to combine yeah. those two. Also, other sources of knowledge that we might um, draw from are things like math, hard and soft sciences, and other empirical sources. So... You just made a, a large list, and we've talked a little bit about some of the, you know, the qualities of these, whether they're good sources or, or poor sources. But these are these are all sources of knowledge to some extent. Uh, astrology, maybe it's a good source of knowing what the seasons are. Um, but <laughs> but people go to both good and bad sources, mm-hmm. uh, and I've gone to good and bad sources, and I've, I've definitely done that. Continue to do it, but I think. 
having experienced more bad sources, that I am now more careful or maybe more aware of what they are. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the, uh, you know, the experience. You know, you get experience from making bad choices so that, you know, you have more experience to make better choices. In which case, you know, the, the adage goes that ultimately good choices come from bad yeah. choices. Yeah. So those are kind of sources of, that are out there, but we have some more personal sources of information. And, and let's, you know, this is, you know, my immediate experience is, is, from my five senses, my sources of oh wait, the only five? You only have five? <sighs> we're we're gonna stick with five, and I'll figure out if we want to go beyond that uh, later. But hey, my astrologer says I have six. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I I think I have exceeded my uh, your your hubris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you may still have to keep working on that. <laughs> yeah. But we have five senses, and my my personal exploration of this world, and you know, I watch. My daughter, and you watch your, your, your kids as they experience the world and, you know, things go into their mouth that no one in their right mind would put in their mouth unless they were under the age and, of two. Yeah. Yeah. And exploring, but they are trying to acquire this knowledge and they are desperate for it, but they don't go to social media. They don't go to have these kind of larger ones. They have a more immediate one that the things that they hear, the things that they see. And those, I think we oftentimes discount uh, because they're so innate to us. We, we forget that we're even using them. You know, we watch lots of things on on YouTube and we watch lots of things in the world around us, but that that immediate watching is a huge source of information and, and, and knowledge. But then going the other direction, I think there's a, a, a set of uh, sources of truth. You know, we've talked about the immediate here and now, we've talked about the, the immediate, but you know, kind of out there, the social interactions, but there are also these sources of truth about things that we can't immediately have access to, the the historical things, the philosophical things, that the, there's a whole different category of, of things that we can explore. And, I, and math, I would maybe argue, is partly in this, in the purest sense. Math is part of reason, I think. And maybe and reason can sometimes get us to... It'd be a source of uh, of logic, uh, knowledge. Mm. What's what's interesting about a lot of these, a, apart from our five senses and uh, apart from logic and reason, most of these are so- somehow eyewitness accounts or historical. I saw X Y Z the other day. You know that is a an eyewitness statement about history, and. What's interesting is when we're looking at science in particular, most of our knowledge and any high school science class is going to be based ultimately on eyewitness accounts. Now, unless they are able to do the experiment right there in the class, but I mean, I don't know how well funded is your school I saw this, here's the steps that I did, and so we are taking a historical account, although it may have been a few weeks ago or, you know, last... Pasteur was, what, the 1700s? Yeah, no, no, he was a long time. Yeah. And <laughs> at least in the science realm, we're trying to replicate historical events. Here, grow penicillin in a, you know, a petri, petri, dish. petri dish. I don't know if he had a petri dish, but, you know, grow it on cheese or, or whatever he grew it on. Oh, and they're, they're trying to, to do it. 
Now it's time for a moment in science history. So we got a couple historical facts wrong in that last segment. First, Louis Pasteur lived from 1822 to 1895. He's most well known for establishing the germ theory of disease, and he made advancements in the fields of fermentation and vaccination. Second, penicillin was discovered in 1928 by Alexander Fleming, not Louis Pasteur. Go, Alex! We thought you should know. That's all for this moment in science history. Now back to your regular programming. Some other disciplines don't have that luxury. Historians, for instance, don't have the luxury of repeating the different wars, the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. Yeah. So they only have the one account, or they have multiple accounts of the same event and trying to piece together what happened. And I think astrophysicists do a similar thing. They are looking out into the universe to see something, but they're actually looking at what happened, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, millions, billions of years ago. And they only get the one experience. They are looking at a picture show of what actually happened and trying to, to, to piece together what's going on, but they really only can look. Um, they don't get to, you know, create a new sun in very small ways. They occasionally get to try it with, you know, a, a super collider that does what our sun does. You know, they do in one year what our sun does every second in energy particle acceleration. You know, it just, their abilities to replicate the universe is, is Limited. paltry. Yeah. <laughs> but, that doesn't mean that they aren't good sources. In fact, sometimes they are only sources of, of knowledge. Yeah, and I, I'll add that a lot of science, I mean, focuses, we talked about the method by justifying the truth. A lot of science is, is great in terms of the way they strive to test and test and test the truth claims that they make. Mm-hmm. To the extent that a scientist does that, I think, determines how... How trustworthy, trustworthy they are. Um, it validates that that first witness, if you will, that first eyewitness. Somebody has first-hand knowledge of an event, and I think there's one more source: someone who has a lot of first-hand knowledge of events, yeah. assuming that he exists. And I think you know there's well, a good case for that. But we're Christians, and and we would like to make a case right. that but he exists. If God does exist, hmm. he has access the first-hand experience that no one else has. So we shouldn't discount him as a source. I and agree. In fact, yeah. he may be the only source for truths that aren't physical or that are beyond this universe because our tools can only get at the physical universe or the material universe if you're talking about science. That's, you know, science is only interested in the material universe. Maybe philosophy can get a little bit farther, but our minds are pretty limited, and you know we probably don't do a great job in philosophy. I don't know. I mean, neither of us are really philosophers. Maybe philosophers would would uh, take umbrage with that statement. I I play one on TV <laughs> or in your podcast. All right. So switching gears for a moment, we've talked a lot about. Okay. So these are all the places we get this. This sources of knowledge from, right? These are all the places where we get this knowledge. Which one's the best? Which one should we choose? Which one should we ignore? Should we always ignore certain sources? You know, how do I figure? I'm 
especially today, I'm blasted with tons of information. I can't possibly process it all. What do I, what do I do? Mike, help us. <laughs> well, Josh, let me help you. <laughs> this is an ongoing process. And I think price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Well, I think the price of knowledge is eternal vigilance as well. Uh, you need to keep working at it. And I think the first step is just being aware of where you're getting your knowledge, being not just accepting it from the sources you are, but not just running it through the filters that you always have run it through. You know, each of us has, and I don't know that we've talked about it much, but we have a worldview, and it's it's the sum total set of filters that we interpret all the information coming to us. And I think that if you're unaware of what your worldview is, that can lead you down some roads of accepting some knowledge that really has some, some dubious uh, quality to it. Know thyself, I think, is what you're trying to go with there. As best you can, and I, and I think it's a process. It, it's getting better. But I think once you know yourself, or at least are aware of them, then you should ask, okay, this may or may not be a good source of knowledge. Do I want to keep subjecting myself to it? That sounds almost volitional again. Well, this mean? is a choice. If I am always hearing something, science has already shown that, that we believe something to be more true just by hearing it repeated often. Mm-hmm. And I think that being aware of that says, if I hang out with friends that always tell me that you're right, you're right, you, would, you know, we agree with everything that you, you say, I may know that, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't sink in over time. And I think, think that we should be careful to limit how much we get from just sources that always agree with us or and especially if they're bad sources of knowledge whether we keep subjecting i try not to swear you know in my daily conversation but if i subject myself to listening to vocabulary either on tv or amongst friends and i do it day in and day out that is full of swearing i'm going to pick up their language and I'm going to want to use it and I may eventually start using it uh, as a matter of just it's familiar to me it's it's it keeps coming at me one of the things that I uh, have tried to do in and this is just me and this is just my personal clinkiness is keeping a few friends on Facebook who and I'll, I'll put friends here in air quotes they're they're more acquaintances but they hold radically different viewpoints than what most of my my friends do and it's there to just kind of be a check and a balance on my my normal reaction to any particular usually political topic because they're 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 very liberal and i tend to be very conservative but i want to see what the other side is saying and i think when i read a piece of theology on something i'm also considered curious to know what the other side says on that topic I love listening to the Unbelievable podcast for the most part, but I love the idea of it because I want to hear two sides to it. And I want the very best guy from my side going, I've got the very best of their side because I want them to do the heavy lifting of filtering out those sources of, of knowledge. I'm, I'm shaking my head at you because you're just so lazy. Hey, <laughs> they're only other four hours in a day. <laughs> having other people do the heavy lifting for you? Come on. I'm too busy. I've got a podcast to run. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you're right though. Having, being able to, being open to other ideas. 
Okay, future Josh here. So the next segment, I really rambled on quite a bit, and you really just don't want to hear that. Instead, let me just summarize and then present you with something new and interesting, I hope. So basically, I had a conversation with someone where I was presented ideas that I just found absolutely ridiculous. And it doesn't necessarily point to knowledge or differing beliefs, but more about how I prioritize different aspects of my life, like, for example, compassion and functional utility. So that said, let me talk a little bit about the value of knowing. I mean, so what? We're talking about knowledge today. What what value does that have for, well, anybody? And let me suggest briefly that the value of good knowledge is that we can have confidence in what we believe. So let's, let's, let's unpack that whole justified true belief statement for just a moment. If I have strong justification for believing that something is true, that means that I can have confidence that it is true. In scientific circles, we test, we hypothesize, we theorize, and we test and we test and we test. And the more our tests are consistent, the more confidence we have that a particular theory or belief is true. This is true not just for scientists, not necessarily just for Christians, but for everybody. When we test things in our daily lives, we have more and more confidence that those things are true. And when we have confidence that the knowledge we have is really, really true, we are able to act on that. Just as Christians, I think this is vitally important that we have confidence in the knowledge that that we are professing, that we claim to have. The only way you can have confidence in that is to somehow test it, um, to somehow ha- have some sort of evidence uh, for it, whether it be experiential or historical or however it might relate to the sources of knowledge that we've already talked about today. So before we kind of wrap up, uh, I just want to do a sidestep here, or maybe not a sidestep, but to, to kind of come back to the, the one source that we didn't talk very much, and we just mentioned that, that God is a great source of, of knowledge, and there are a couple things that the Bible comments about knowledge, primarily in Proverbs, and a little bit in Psalms, and, and maybe just in general throughout the Bible, but those ones specifically talk about uh, knowledge, and in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, the fear of the Lord Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, and I, I think that 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 points to God as recognizing that God is a awesome source of knowledge is probably the most fundamental of sources that we could go to. Not necessarily for everything, although you could argue that because God has given us so many other ways, but for the really important things. I mean, this world is not permanent. It's not going to exist forever, and all the knowledge that I gain about how atoms work or how politics really plays out ultimately pales in comparison to my eternal soul, my relationship with with God, and those that source of knowledge is actually the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that relationship 
is if I get everything else wrong, but I get that part right, that is a success. That's a win. Although, I mean, let me let me just uh, temper that a little bit. I think that any worldview, including one that that has God in it, should make sense in some way. It should do a good job of explaining the world as uh, around it, of explaining our daily experiences. I think some worldviews are much better at that than others. I, I realize, and maybe this is uh, a topic for another day, but what do we do? I mean, maybe someone out there is listening and they don't hold our worldview. What do I tell them? Oh, just change your worldview, right? Uh, you should believe like I do. That's not necessarily helpful, but what might be helpful, again, for a future show, is talking about what, how do we incorporate knowledge? How do we, what do we do when it challenges our worldview? Do we just reject it? Do we incorporate, incorporate it somehow? I mean, what does that look like? Well, I'll go back to that quote that uh, you read the last episode, and that's the, the, in the pursuit of knowledge, you know, we shouldn't applaud people who believe something and, and, and follow it the entire time. We should applaud people who, when they discover that they are in error, change their mind. That's, that should be the, the goal. It's not to get everything right the first time. That's Watch not going to happen. You know, they get it right by failing many, many times. And we don't say, oh, you tried to walk and you failed. Failure, you know, loser. No, we're like, wow, good try, good job. You, know, you took a whole step. Or you tried, it was a stumble, you know, here, we're going to stand you up and, and, and try and get you to do it again. I think the same thing we should say That's cruel. with with our friends, those people that we interact with, our acquaintances. Every time that they make a step towards knowledge or they struggle with something, you know, we should applaud them. Not because they may come to the right conclusion right then and get it all right, but, you know, that struggle should be encouraged, should be applauded, should be praised and I think and and I'll I'll just um I'll I'll say I'll just say a quick thank you because I know you've treated me that way and I appreciate that in in our relationship that I've struggled with with we'll say getting access to good knowledge and but and I think it's been a mutual iron sharpens iron I mean from our first early days when we were hiking together and you know I had a captive audience, um, <laughs> or what, maybe you had a captive audience. I'm not sure, but being able to to bounce ideas, and we didn't agree on a lot of things, but we we grew, I think, from being challenged and trying to to struggle through them. So we've been talking for quite a while and had kind of two episodes. Is there anything that really struck you that is kind of a takeaway that uh, from this that you found significant or you would like to kind of sum up here uh, what's your heart now that you have you know become better at acquiring yeah, I mean, knowledge from where you were maybe 20 years ago and, and or maybe just today yeah i you know i wouldn't necessarily say that i've had any epiphanies today this evening but i think being open to new ideas uh is is a big key i think that I think that the, the big thing that we've discussed is is really having good methods for acquiring truth, in, investigating things thoroughly. And we haven't talked about case making, and well, we've talked a little bit about you know multiple sources. 
I think maybe that'll be a, an episode for another day as well. But but really, uh, you talked a little bit about this, choosing our sources very well and eliminating voices into our life that are not providing the good, solid sources of knowledge. I, I think that, and that's a really difficult thing to do with so much information out there. And maybe not eliminating, because it's good to know what people are hearing, but turn down the, the volume. volume on them. Uh, yeah. Just make sure that that's not flooding everything that you're hearing. But And, and the, the counterpoint to that is to be open to, to new ideas, to, to keep, as you were talking about, keep people close who disagree with you and be okay with that. I think the thing that I think is the biggest takeaway here is just your, your, your comment or your summation of know thyself. I think being self-aware, questioning why and looking internally to say, why am I doing what I'm doing is probably the first step. And I recognize some people do this naturally. For a lot of us, this is a skill that we learn. Being married is, a, I think, a, a crash course in self It is a very stark mirror, but I think it's been a good thing for me to look at my own reasoning and my own reactions to things, and I think that makes me better at not just reacting, not just accepting, but also choosing, allowing me to insert that will into there to maybe guide better decisions. So I'm kind of going off of that point, I think... This is just sort of my opinion. Some of the best, most mature Christians that I've met, I really get the sense that they have a deep understanding of who they really are. And in some ways, that that is that has a very strong draw. Here's someone who really knows themselves, the good and the bad. And I think that that ought to be the case in a religion that in, in a sense, requires us to know who we are and, and maybe not like what we see, but still to look at it. Well, I think it's also religion that accurately reflects who we are. It matches what we see in ourselves and says, yep, here's the explanation, here's the description, and they, they here's who you are. They align. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And C.S. Lewis said, you know, I... I believe it not just because, you know, I believe the sun is there not just because I can see it, but by it I can see everything else. And I think mm. our religion helps us not only, you know, it doesn't just match what we think should be there, but it also helps us understand everything else better. Well, I think that probably wraps up this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us again next time when we consider truth. Episode 5 was recorded on August 28, 2016. Considering Truth is produced by me, with assistance from Josh and Tim. Wonderland music provided by Dexter Britton. If you'd like to comment or provide feedback, you can email us at consideringtruth at gmail.com.